Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today I have two special guests, Elisa Childers and Tim Barnett. We're going to be talking about their new book, The Deconstruction of Christianity, what it is, why it's destructive, and how to respond. The foreword is by Carl Truman, who's been on the show. Elisa's been on the show. Tim, this is his first time on the show. And Elisa Childers is a mom author, wife, and speaker. She was a member of the award-winning CCM recording group, Zoe Girl. She's a popular speaker at apologetics and Christian worldview conferences. She is the author of Another Gospel and Live Your Truth and Other Lies. Tim Barnett is a speaker and apologist for Stand to Reason. Tim and I were on that same Stand to Reason tour a couple years ago. He's really fun. In addition, his online presence on Red Pen Logic with Mr. B helps people assess bad thinking by using good thinking, reaching millions of people every month through multiple social media platforms. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome, Elisa and Tim. Great to be back with you, Beckett. Good to see you guys. It's always good to be with you, Beckett. I'm so glad that you both are. It's like an embarrassment of riches with both of you. So before we get into the content of your new book, The Deconstruction of Christianity, tell us why you two wrote this together. Well, Tim, you you tell the story better than I do. (laughs) Well, okay, but I'll need Elisa's help on this because there's kind of two parts to this. The first part is, uh, uh, man, it was about two and a half, maybe three years ago, I was um, asked to do kind of a series of talks at a camp. It was a Monday to Friday Bible study kind of thing. And I was the teacher each morning. And I decided to do an entire kind of series on deconstruction. And so I did a whole bunch of research, put a whole bunch of material together, you know, the whole PowerPoint slides, all that stuff. And uh, and one of the evenings, I was kind of sitting at the back of this this church um, and it occurred to me, someone needs to write a book on this particular, um, issue. And of course I had in my research found that a lot of people deconstructing were actually moving towards progressive Christianity. And so 
who would be better at writing a book on on deconstruction and its connection to you know progressive Christianity than Elisa Childers? So I had her number in my phone. I sent her a text asking her, "So are you going to write a book on deconstruction?" And Elisa, what did you say? <laughs> well, I was like, I didn't want to write anything at that point because I was hip deep in writing my second book, Live Your Truth and Other Lies. And I just, I was so looking forward to being done with that book so that I could not write a book for like five years. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, I had, you know, of course, Tim and I are on social media together and I kept seeing Tim post these posts about deconstructionists, which, like he said, has such overlap with the people I study in progressive Christianity. And I was just like, man, there's somebody talking about this. This is so great. I'm so glad that Tim's talking about about this. And then what really got me was he posted on Instagram this deconstruction story, and it had this picture of this guy silhouetted walking away. And it was like the way it was worded sounded exactly like all the deconstruction stories that I see on Instagram. And I get to the bottom and it's made up. It's Demas, right? So Demas, you know, from the New Testament who loved the things of the world and walked away. And so Tim had done this like fictional deconstruction story for Demas. And I was like, man, this guy, he really gets it. So by the time Tim texted me, I already knew that we were thinking very similarly about it. And so it just, it just made sense. And so I just texted him like, let's talk about it. And we started yeah. talking and, and we just, we went for it. Well, yeah. it's really, really well done. And it's very, very important that people read this book. So let's get into the book. What, first of all, how do you define deconstruction? What is deconstruction? Like, that's the question, right? And, that is... and not only is what is, but what, how did this sudden, because it seems like this came on suddenly in the last few years. When did this kind of start, this whole deconstruction thing? Yeah, well, I think you're right. I would say in the last five to seven, eight years, probably, is when we started seeing that word pop up. And so I, I've i been sort of observing this movement for a while because I had my own faith crisis over 10 years ago that really brought me to the edge of agnosticism. My doubts were mostly intellectual, but it was years of studying and rebuilding and figuring out what I believed was true. And so I started to hear the word deconstruction and I thought, oh, well, that's what happened to me. I had this faith crisis. I busted everything down to the studs and rebuilt. And so I started to use that word. I even used that word in my first book to describe my journey. But what was interesting is when I would start to say that online, deconstructionists would say, you didn't deconstruct. And I would, I would say, wait, what do you, what do you mean I didn't deconstruct? And I said, well, you just, you believe Christian, you know, these kind of conservative Christian beliefs. So you didn't deconstruct. And that was confusing to me. And that was the first time I started thinking, okay, people are defining this word differently. There really isn't like a set definition. So today people use the word everything from like changing their mind to what they're going to eat at lunch to like completely walking away from the faith. And so, you know, if the word means everything, it means nothing. So as we were studying the movement and kind of living in that deconstruction hashtag, what we realized is that what deconstruction really is, is it's a postmodern process because that word deconstruction is a fairly new word as it relates to faith. And it's just piggybacking on the postmodern philosophy that's kind of gained steam in the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. And so it's this new postmodern word people are using, but as it manifests in culture and as it's connected to its postmodern roots, it's a postmodern process of assessing your beliefs, but not using scripture as a standard. That was kind of the most concise definition that Tim and I could come up with, because that is how it manifests in, you know, most in the broader culture. Yeah. Tim, anything to add? Yeah. I mean, and this was, this was a struggle for the two of us to come up with this definition. We uh, originally were 
hoping maybe we could just add an adjective to the word deconstruction, you know, like healthy deconstruction or good deconstruction, as opposed to an unhealthy deconstruction or a bad deconstruction. And what we found kind of through our process of research and writing was that that's not really what's going on. Deconstruction is something very particular. It's not merely asking questions or experiencing doubts or one of these things. It really is. And the key that Elisa just pointed out, postmodern process, rethinking your faith. And then that last part, really crucial, without requiring scripture as a standard. Because over and over and over again, we found that there the, the deconstructionists were um, rejecting scripture, if not if yeah. not uh, ridiculing and everything and everything else. So um, we really want our readers and our listeners to see what's really going on in the deconstruction movement. Not a lot of people are actually talking about the movement itself. And so we're hoping that this, this book will actually bring a lot of clarity uh, to what's really going on. Yeah. It seems like, um, you know, all the deconstructionists, Derrida and Foucault and those guys, uh, their philosophies from the sixties and seventies have, really come home to roost in the church in the last mm. 10 years or the last, you know, five to 10 years. It's like, it's wild. What's, what's, ha- it's, it's wild that this is all kind of coming home <laughs> and, yeah. and damaging the church and damaging people's faith. Yeah. And, well, and even- people don't, I was going to say, Tim. people don't know the names of these postmodern, you know, French philosophers, but they are are reading, as we say in the book, from the the postmodern playbook. Okay, yeah. so they don't they don't know who these philosophers are, and yet they're drinking that water, they're swimming in it. And so um, it wouldn't surprise us, you know, that a lot of people um, didn't maybe won't make that connection immediately. But what we hope to show uh, that we have shown in the book is that there really is a connection to the postmodern aspect and to what goes by the name of you know faith deconstruction. Yeah. yeah. And Beckett, to your point, you made such a good point just a second ago that I just wanted to give you a perfect example of because a lot of people don't realize how much those philosophies have infiltrated not just the broader church, but just the evangelical church. So you have authors that um, are being called the Evangelical Deconstruction Project. And these are people who some of them even claim to be reformed, you know, like Calvinist, whatever they might be. But they're writing books that are literally deconstructing the faith of a lot of Christians. And what's interesting is you can trace them to these postmodern philosophers. And here's an example. So I'm sure we're all familiar with the book uh, Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen Dumais. And somebody on Twitter asked her, you know, how do you analyze power structures? What are the best resources to do that? And she said that what she does is she steeps herself in and she lists people like um, Habermas, Adorno. She's mentioning people that are were like uh, head of the Frankfurt School from which came critical theory, of course, father of neo-Marxism. And she's like naming these postmodern philosophers and basically saying like, this is how I analyze these things. And at that time, I don't know where she's at these days, but she was claiming to be uh, just a reformed kind of conservative Christian. So it's really no exaggeration to say that they really have come home to roost in the evangelical church for sure. We'll be right back after this short break. Well, in the, in the academy, you know, people have been deconstructing uh, literary texts for for decades now, and it's funny because now it's finally coming not just to literary texts, but it's coming to the Bible. So, yes, this, this is where it's ending up. Um, and okay, so in what ways is deconstruction both a very old and a new phenomenon? Well, I this think is, you this... can go ahead, Tim. You get you get this one. Well, okay, then you jump in. Um, 
it's it's old because it goes back to the garden and we we <laughs> we outline this i mean did god really say uh we actually make the claim that you know satan isn't just the father of lies he's the father of modern deconstruction okay yeah. um he's challenging questioning god's word and not just question it but outright denying it you know he you, you will not surely die you know satan deceivingly declares so this thing goes back to the garden we see people deconstructing throughout scripture uh, you know, we just talked about Demas a moment ago, but this is the kind of thing we're seeing today. Uh, but it, it it looks a little different. Um, and, and that's what actually the deconstructing Demas post online was actually meant to to show. It's that, you know, you're going to see people like Marty Sampson from Hillsong or John Steingard from Hawk Nelson or, you know, the list goes on. Kevin Max from DC Talk. There's these well-known notable people who have deconstructed their faith. And so they hop on social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and they they kind of share their story. You know, I'm leaving here and, and here's my story. Well, this, what would this look like if in the first century Demas had Instagram? And so, you know, and, and so the, what's new, we think is, is the fact that people have uh, a platform now to share their story. When, when someone would deconstruct, you know, a hundred years ago, well, the people in their closest community, maybe their church community, their family, they were the ones who knew. But now I, perfect strangers, you know, are on, are on, uh, Instagram, and I know who they are because their stories are going viral. They're getting h- hundreds of thousands of likes in some cases, or their videos are getting millions of views. And so it's kind of all over the place. Uh, frankly, I didn't know who Rhett and Link were until someone sent me a video of Rhett McLaughlin's deconstruction testimony, which has been viewed now like 3 million times. Okay. Yeah. So you know, apparently I was living under a rock somewhere, you know, Good Mythical Morning, those guys, they're funny guys. But the the reality is i i came to know them through their their deconstruction story and so that's kind of the the thing that's maybe novel is that we're able to hear these stories just by hopping on the internet or cruising through social media i know i think social media is uh, partly satan's masterpiece um as well so um anything to add elisa before i move on no i think that, i think tim covered it great it's just you know Postmodernism didn't have a name in the garden, but I think yeah. humans have always been tempted to shift authority from objective truth, from which is rooted in God, to ourselves. And it's been called many things throughout the ages, but it's it kind of goes back to the same roots. Okay, so w- what about ex-evangelical? What does the term ex-evangelical? Because I've I started hearing this word um, maybe a couple of years ago. What does this term mean, and what do you guys think of this term? Well, so the ex-evangelical hashtag is always, well, most often used in conjunction with or even synonymous with the deconstruction hashtag. And so I think what people really need to understand about the ex-evangelical hashtag is it doesn't just mean I'm not evangelical anymore. And so, you know, you're not hearing deconstruction stories of people maybe deciding that growing up Southern Baptist, you know, isn't the the truest expression of Christianity. So they become, you know, some stream of Coptic or Eastern Orthodox or something, and they're calling that exvangelical. They're not calling that exvangelical. So exvangelical, in a sense, does mean leaving evangelicalism. But the problem with the word exvangelical is that there's really no defined term 
evangelical. So it just means a whole lot of different things, kind of like that word deconstruction. So, you know, of course, people have used that quadrilateral, the quadrilateral where evangelical kind of classically meant that you had an emphasis on biblical authority, personal conversion, an emphasis on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and then activism, which largely meant evangelism all over the world through mission work and things like that. Well, there's that definition of evangelical, but if you ask most people, I think, especially in the deconstruction hashtag, what is evangelical, they just think God, guns, and Trump. It's like, you know, this marriage of politics and conservative Christianity. And so all of those things kind of get conflated together. This is my observation, that in the deconstruction hashtag, maybe um, substitutionary atonement of Jesus is seen as sort of this product of white supremacy and this wanting to have this political power of this, you know, this voting block. And so the whole thing gets kind of tangled up into one knot and thrown away. And so when when the deconstructionist says, you know, hashtag exvangelical, very often they'll they'll classify evangelical almost like it's a cult and they've gotten out of a cult, which is why I think there's so much evangelistic fervor to convert others to deconstruction Mm -hmm. to get them out of what they're really seeing as as like a high control kind of uh, environment yeah tim anything to add to that no that's no that's good and so what what pushes people to consider or to deconstruct what what are what are some of the factors that push people to do this yeah this is this is a good question too um oftentimes what we see is there's going to be a crisis of faith okay um, and this is the trigger. This is the thing that gets the ball rolling. Now, what's what's really important for the listener to understand is just because you have a crisis of faith doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to now deconstruct your faith. Okay, so deconstruction and the crisis are two different things. Now, the crisis actually can make you a good candidate for deconstruction, but it's not like it's not necessary that you must deconstruct. The other piece that we found just kind of in our in our research, in our observation, is that it's the crisis combined with um, your foundation. And if your found your faith foundation is not very strong, then this is a recipe for a deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jesus talks about faith foundations in the parable of the soils. The rocky soil is where Jesus describes the seed that um, that springs up kind of immediately and then when the sun comes out, it gets scorched. And then he gives a, kind of the the interpretation of what's going on here. And he said, he says, this is where like you immediately receive the word with joy, right? Mm-hmm. And and then when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, well, what happens? He says they fall away. Those are his words. And and so we can see that man, when you start listening to the deconstruction stories, testimonies, what you find is that there's often some some tribulation or persecution or suffering or whatever. Um, sometimes it's- Or like it's, peer uh, pressure. Or, or it could, totally. It could be peer pressure. It could be, um, it could be some kind of perceived abuse, or maybe it's real abuse. Um, there could be, I mean, there's just a number of different factors that can arise. And if you don't have a strong foundation, um, what ends up happening is you end up kind of going through this process. And we see this over and over and over again. And, uh, and so certainly there are, you know, people who have really tough questions and, and deep doubts. And then there's, and then you get to like the extreme where, you know, people describe stories that are heartbreaking, um, that they've experienced all kinds of abuse. 
mm-hmm. and uh, and end up going through a, a process that they call deconstruction. And what we do in the book is we we say that's you know that okay we recognize that this is going on. We want to offer something kind of in response. There's a better way. You don't have to do deconstruction. You can do what we call reformation. Yeah. And so, um, so, okay, let's talk about what might a person mean when they, when they call certain beliefs or theology toxic, because that seems to be one of the main reasons people deconstruct is they, they read certain passages of the Bible and they're like, you know, this is toxic or this is, you know, it's just, it's just all, again, it's postmodernism, but what, mm-hmm. what, um, what might they mean by that? Well, this is an important question. And, you, this is where the postmodernism comes in because what people have to understand is like postmodernism is a lot of things, but I think it's largely characterized by uh, a rejection of the idea that absolute truth can be known when, especially when it comes to religion and morality. Most people don't walk around as if, you know, there's no objective truth when it comes to math or science or money. They go to the bank, they expect their money to be there. But when it comes to what we should and shouldn't do morally and what we should or shouldn't believe spiritually, people have sort of put that in the subjective, like just it's no different than your favorite flavor of ice cream. So why would you be telling somebody else that they should believe something different? That would be like saying, hey, Tim, you know, how dare you think chocolate is the best ice cream? You know, that would that would be silly because that's a preference or an opinion. Mm-hmm. And so where where the toxic conversation comes in is is and and I just want to urge our viewers to to listen very carefully. If you're listening to a deconstruction story, listen for how many kind of subjective words are used to describe spiritual beliefs. So somebody says words like these beliefs are uh, oppressive or liberating, harmful or helpful. Uh, toxic or healthy. These are the kinds of words you're going to hear. And listen, I agree. We should not hold toxic and harmful beliefs, but we can't know what's toxic and harmful unless we first know what is true about a particular belief. So here's an example we use in the book. There was a girl on TikTok claiming that to tell somebody they're a sinner is abusive because that's what abusers do. Abusers, they try to knock you down a peg. They try to make you feel like you're worthless and that you have to rely on them because they just want to control you and manipulate you and, and all of that. And, you know, I agree that's what abusers do, but is that, but is that what Christianity is? Well, truth makes the difference in the diagnosis. So imagine. You walk into a room and you, you know, you see somebody uh, laying on the ground and they're unconscious and somebody else is sort of hovering over them, beating on their chest. Well, I think we would all say, well, that's very toxic. That's very harmful. That's very abusive, right? Unless the person who's unconscious has just had a heart attack and the person beating on their chest is administering CPR. It'd be like, you know, somebody cutting someone's chest open. Well, if they're if they're just hacking into them with a butcher knife, yeah, that's toxic, harmful, and abusive. But if they're a surgeon you know, doing surgery, life-saving surgery, that changes the narrative to being now that's that's healthy. So we can only know what's toxic and harmful if we know it's true, but that's not what's going on in the deconstruction movement. Any belief that is perceived to be oppressive to to my sensibilities, if it doesn't resonate with me, if it doesn't bring me life and, you know, in my according to my subjective ideas, make me feel a deep sense of happiness, then it's a toxic belief that I need to get rid of. And so Really, any objective claim that Christians would make, like you're a sinner, you need to be saved, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he's coming back to judge the living and the dead, things like this, the postmodern person doesn't even think those things can be known. And so they're just wondering why the church would be saying these things. And so this is why when you go on social media, you see people say things like, the church invented the doctrine of hell to control Mm -hmm. people with fear, 
or the church just tells you you're a sinner so that you will stay in the fold and you'll be too scared to leave or something along those lines. So it's very postmodern in that the beliefs are assessed based on the perceived effect rather than the how they're rooted in objective reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like you guys talk about this in the book, uh, Francis Schaeffer's upper story and lower story mm-hmm. and the subjective and objective. And, you know, you have to come to the to the conclusion that there is objective truth. Like you you can't everything can't just be subjective. Otherwise, you're never going to get you're just always going to be. Um, what did he say? Francis Schaeffer said like on a roller coaster with no brakes or something. I can't remember the quote, but do you know that, Tim? Do you know that quote? Well, I, I I'm. Not sure about the quote, but you're right. Francis Schaeffer talked a lot about this. He he talked about total truth or true truth. Maybe maybe it was Piercy that said total truth. Um, his idea that just so the listeners know, um, he said the culture sees truth as a two story house, and the lower story that's where you got like science and reason and math and that kind of thing, and that's publicly accessible um, truth. But when you go to the upper story, well, this is personal and private beliefs. And so, um, you know, where you like to sit in a movie theater, you know, that's kind of true for you, but not for me. You know, there's a weirdos that like to sit in the front row or the people (laughs) like sit in the back row or whatever, you know, like those are just personal preference. But what happens is in our culture, and uh, a lot of people will see see this kind of playing out is morality and religion. Those get pushed up into the upper story. So um, that's true for you, but not for me is often kind of the the phrase, or who are you to judge, you know, someone else's morality, or you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't put, force your view on someone else that comes out of this kind of view of moral relativism. So um, you're right that Schaefer, you know, years ago, this is decades ago, 50 years ago, was talking about this idea. And we're seeing it play out in the deconstruction movement. And so when someone hops on TikTok, and they say that hell is all about, you know, fear tactics and scare tactics, and you're just trying to control people. What's happening there is they're assuming that this whole doctrine of hell, they're bypassing it. They're assuming it's not true or false. They go right to the motivation, right? Because this is what happens. If, if there is no truth, all you're left with is power. And so whoever kind of is promoting a view of hell must be doing this because they're trying to hold on to power, trying to use power to control people. And, uh, and so. The problem is before you can even assess motivations, you need to go back and ask ask the question about, is it true? C.S. Lewis talked about this. He called this bulverism, this move where you start to go attack motivations before you look at what's actually true or false. So um, the deconstructionists, they often will speak in terms of toxic theology, not true theology or false theology, but toxic theology. And that's kind of a, a way of describing stuff they don't like or um, or they think is oppressive or harmful, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's almost like an ad hominem attack instead of really looking at the uh, the text and dealing with the text itself. Mm-hmm. So it's like attacking scripture. Um, so what are some common misconceptions about deconstruction? We, we touched on a little bit of this, but what are some common misconceptions about it, of deconstruction? Yeah, well, there's, I, would- I mean, go ahead, Elisa. So I would, I'll, I'll give one and then you can jump in there. But I mean, I think there are, uh, there's, de- there's misconceptions on both sides. So I think Tim and I would agree that we think a lot of Christians, a lot of evangelicals have a misconception that deconstruction can be this healthy process that, you know, you just deconstruct just means, you know, assessing everything, making sure what you believe is true. And it's true. Some people use the word that way. 
But we think that's a very unhealthy way to talk about what the Bible actually tells you to do, which is test all things and hold fast to what is true, be like a Berean, search the scriptures. We don't need a postmodern word to describe a biblical process, right? So I think that might be one. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of things, I think um, deconstruct. a lot of times I think some Christians think that people in the deconstruction movement just want to be cool or they just, you know, they're just, and really there's a lot of deep hurt in, in that hashtag of people who have been genuinely wounded by, um, and, and not just one like church hurt experience, but, you know, several in a row even. And that can be very disorienting and very confusing for people going through it. Yeah. Yeah. Other, other, uh, misconceptions are things like, well, if you've heard one deconstruction story, then you've heard them all. Uh, we, we like, we, I think in the book we say, if you've heard one deconstruction story, then you've heard one deconstruction story because <laughs> they're so unique. I mean, everyone yeah. has their own experiences and their own story. Now, there are certain things that show up in, that are common amongst the stories, but of course, everyone has a unique story. Um, so that would be another one. Another another idea, again, this is for the Christians listening to um, this podcast, is vi- watching this video. This is not just about ideas, okay? This is about real people. Like deconstruction has a face, Okay. Yeah. And it's a face of our loved ones who are going through this. So I don't want us to treat this as some kind of flippant thing, um, where, where it's just, you know, those deconstructors, well, they just, ne- they were never saved and, you know, whatever and just write them off. No, these are real people. Um, there are, you know, in some cases, our sons and daughters or our, our grandkids, or our aunts and uncles, our moms and dads. So we want to, um, remember that. And these are, these are people made in the image of God. And of course, I think later on, we'll talk about some of the advice and interacting with people who have deconstructed, but that's kind of a really important misconception is just like, this is just, you know, ideas and abstract. No, this is very, this is very real for a lot of people. And uh, I want to remember that. Well, speaking of loved ones, what are some good questions to ask loved ones when they are thinking of deconstructing or, or are deconstructing? Well, I think if somebody actually is talking to you about their deconstruction and they use that word, I would, the first question I would ask him is what did, what did they mean? What are they, how are they defining that word? Because there is such, such a vast usage of that word. You know, you, you might have uh, a friend come home from some sort of a, a Bible experience, like a church, they went to a summer camp or something, and they're like, I'm de- I'm going to deconstruct my faith because I want to make sure that what I believe is true. I want to make sure that everything my parents taught me is true. And then I think in that case, you know, ask them what they mean by it. And if it's something that is a, truly a healthy thing, like like making sure my beliefs are my own and that I really think this is true, I think we should encourage them to do that, but maybe also encourage them to use a healthier word to describe that, maybe something like reformation. But um I think, you know, it, it's really difficult engaging with people who are in real deconstruction as we define it because of that postmodern element. And they think and their their ideas that, you know, the Christian beliefs are toxic. They have probably already decided that you're not a safe person, that you are maybe even a toxic person. The sad thing to me, Beckett, is night after night when I speak on this topic, I will inevitably at least have one elderly couple come up to me, and sometimes it's several, to come up to me with tears in their eyes. And I open the book with one of these stories because they're so common, but just saying, you know, we raised our kids in the church. They're now grown and married, and they have their own kids, and they have told us that we are toxic and mm-hmm. they've cut off relationship. In some cases, they've received a no contact letter. That's kind of a big trend in, in the movement as well. 
And so these these families are going, what do I do? How do I get my kid back? And so I think it's really important that sometimes it's better to not even ask a question at all. I know in apologetics, that goes against all of our instincts. But <laughs> if somebody has truly decided you're toxic and they're wanting to disconnect from you, the best thing to do might be to not ask any questions unless there's a welcome conversation there where you can really seek to understand and listen and try to understand what they're feeling and what they've gone through and what they're thinking. But it's okay to even just step back and just try to stay in their life because um, the impetus to disconnect from church family and biological family is really strong. And so I, I've seen that piece of advice bring a lot of relief to some of these cup, these people who they don't know what to do. And just to be given permission, like, it's okay, you don't have to go try to be their savior and fix their theology over coffee, but just just try to stay in their life, model the peace you have in Jesus, because let me tell you one thing, there's no peace in that hashtag. It is, you want to talk about a toxic and dark place. That is a toxic and dark place. Um, but let them see the peace of Jesus in your life and then pray. This is like, we cannot underestimate the power of prayer for sure. Yes, yes, yes. I always say that. <laughs> My mother prayed for me for 20 years. Yes, yes. Um, so Tim, this is the the last. So any final words, Tim, on this on this aspect of uh, caring for, you know, a family member or interacting with a family member who's deconstructing. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think Elisa gave some really good, uh, advice there. I think that on, on, at the end of the day, listening and hearing kind of where they're coming from, you're not going to be able to respond, um, in truth or with questions or whatever, unless there's that relationship and you know where they're coming from. And oftentimes we've talked about this before, uh, where you you have someone claiming that there's all these intellectual doubts that's really driving this thing. But what you end up finding out, there's a lot of emotional things that are going on below the surface. Um, so we often use that intellectual stuff as almost like a smoke screen. Um, and, and, you know, non-deconstructors do sometimes will do that too. So that would be, that would be one thing. Another thing is to find out where, um, where they stand when it comes to scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, because at the, I honestly, to, to start quoting Bible verses, I know the instinct for a lot of people is going to be, Hey, let me pull out my Bible and let yeah. me show you where you're wrong with all these verses or something like that. And if they have kind of abandoned and rejected the idea that scripture is any kind of authority, then that is not going to be productive at all. So it may be a really helpful kind of question to find out just, you know, where do you stand when it comes to scripture? And then you can then you can respond accordingly. Yes. Well, we're going to leave it there, guys. The book is The Deconstruction of Christianity, what it is, why it's destructive and how to respond. You've got to get this. It's it's really great. And um, how can people find you guys? Well, you can actually go to the deconstruction of and there's links to all the different places you can buy the book. And I'm not sure when this episode is coming out, but if the book isn't out yet, then you can still get some pre-order goodies. And so mm -hmm. if you order the book and then you go to the deconstruction of Christianity.com, you can fill out a form with your receipt number and you'll get our advice chapter uh, immediately in an email. And then you'll get 60 days free access to the audiobook. So that's the deconstruction of Christianity.com. And if you want to find me personally, the Elisa Childers podcast, I'm also Elisa Childers on YouTube. And Tim's also got a great social media going on too. Yeah, Tim, what did, tell tell us about your thing. 
Sure. Uh, so people can find me at standardreason.org or um, I'm probably best known for Red Pen Logic with Mr. B. And so we're on TikTok and Instagram and, you know, all the stuff. And uh, what we do there is we respond to actually some deconstructionists, some of these guys who are the thought leaders in the deconstruction movement. These are the what we would call wolves. You know, this is the kind of guys that we are we are uh, warning the church about and responding to. And so you'll see, you know, their tweets or their memes or whatever. And then we get out the red pen and, and respond either, you know, graphically or with or with a video. Um, and so if people want to find more information, just search red pen logic. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. The book is great and, uh, I appreciate it. Thanks Beckett. Thanks. Thank you guys. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beckett cook show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of the Beckett cook show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey, everybody. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we're hosts of the Kynos Project podcast where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. The word kainos means new, and that's exactly what we want to do on our podcast. Bring something new from what is old in our faith. And on this show, you might hear us explore topics like what the Bible has to say about student loan forgiveness, discuss how the satanic temple affects our view of religious liberty in America, or even question why is it that so many people are having rapture anxiety. To learn more about the podcast, go to lifeaudio.com.